Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And our goal is to make the study of God's word accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Hello and welcome back to Accessible Theology. Uh, today we will be answering another question that we received from a listener. And uh, this one we received a little while ago from Josh, and we're thankful for it. Sorry it took a little bit to get around <laughs> to it, but uh, we looking forward to dealing with this question today. Um, and I'm going to read the first part of the question. Aaron is going to answer that in three minutes, and then we'll kind of bring in some of the other questions that were associated within this question to flesh it out more. So Aaron is going to be explaining in three minutes this question. Uh, he asks, the origin and need for woman. Why, when man was closest to God, did God see that man was not good to be alone? Okay, so Aaron, you're going to have three minutes to explain that, and then we'll unpack more afterwards. So you can begin with that now. I, I do really appreciate this question because it touches on a lot of good theological issues for us to think through. So obviously we're talking about uh, the creation of all things, specifically of man and woman by God, the creator. And, and, and so we have to think from uh, the text of scripture, Genesis chapter one, but we also have to think of the nature of God. What is God like? And so when, when we come to the creation account uh, what we see is God creating. And that tells us something about the nature of God. It tells us that he is the kind of God that can create. And that's, I think, important to note. Um, but specifically in the creation of man and woman, in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the air, fish of the sea, birds of the air, Sharknado. Yeah, yeah. And, and so on and so forth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so there are, there are some, some crucial things that come straight from this text. In the creation of humanity, uh, woman is not an afterthought, that, that God is creating male and female in his image. Male and female, he created them. But then when we come to Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time that we see something is pronounced as not good. And, and so this is, this is uh, I think, just a, a retelling of, of what has already taken place, that Moses is telling us again uh, of the creation of mankind. And he's going through the days, and, and we've got, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then all of a sudden, it's not good. And what is the thing that's not good? It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So if we take this back to the nature of God, we know that God exists in three persons. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there is perfect relationship between each person of the Trinity. And when God creates, he's creating us in his image to be like him. And so he creates us as relational beings. And so it's not good that man should be alone because man, humanity is designed to be in relationship. I don't think this is speaking specifically of 
Um, well, maybe it is. Maybe it's specifically marriage. I'm not sure that it's specifically marriage, but it's meant to, to, to show us the necessity of relationship and that all along God had male and female uh, in his design for creation of humanity. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, uh, to con- in concurrence with what he just said, if you look at these opening verses in Genesis, you see in verses 26 through 28 of the opening chapter that when God creates man and, and woman in his image, created, he uses uh, plural pronouns, them. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, this is an intention. But then he also, right after that in verse 28, after the image-bearing reality, he says that they are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yeah. And so this reality carries with it the need to have progeny, to, yeah. to grow and to, and to have more people. And we see that this is this requires a woman to fulfill uh, this mandate. So, yeah, inherent to the, what it is to be human mm-hmm. is the need to have uh, man and uh, woman. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning, in verse 26, I love it. It's, I, th- I believe and agree with a lot of theologians would say this is the first Trinitarian reference mm-hmm. in the Bible when it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image yeah. according to our likeness. So uh, that's a, a big push towards thinking that you would need more than just a man. You would need someone else to be with him. Yeah. Now, Aaron, with that, um, one of the other questions that came along um with it, this, and, I, and since we're talking about God's triune nature, I'm going to skip one of the questions. We'll come back to that later and ask mm-hmm. one of the last ones. But one of the questions Josh, Josh also includes on here is, why one man and one woman when God himself is triune? So when you think about that, why is it not three people? Why, like, do you have any, uh, would, you, would you have anything that you'd want to say? Um, <laughs> yeah, why why one man, one woman when God himself is triune? Um there's, uh, I guess I'm trying to figure out which way to take it exactly. Um, so when God creates us, he, he's not creating us um, in the exact same way. Like we can't, we can't be exactly like God. Um, he creates us with bodies and, and um, God does not have a body. Um, so why is he creating us as one, one man and one woman? I think part of the answer is God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Um, but also, uh, because of the, the wholeness that is, is meant to, to portray. Uh, so I, I, one of the things that I, I, I'm not too keen on, um, there are some theologians who look at uh, the relationship of, of man and woman and see it as an exact imprint of the Trinity, where they see um, the father relating to the son and the love between them is meant to portray the spirit. And so then when we come to the creation of man and woman, uh, it, it, there's there's some sort of analogy that they see where there's the man, there's the woman, and then there's there's the love that be, that is between them, or even the creation of a child. Yeah, somehow, yeah. which again, that that's dangerous though, because you're talking about like, well, the two members of the Trinity create the other one. Right, again, right. it's not an exact thing. Yeah. So I, I I'm also very kind of le- weary and leery <laughs> towards those those. Okay, let me let me kind of speak to this as a way to kind of yeah. clarify where I think you're going to. I think Paul answers this question in Ephesians five. Yeah. When we like, so he, 
So Paul, um, at the end of this chapter, he quotes this creation account in verse uh, 31. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. So Paul's realizing this is a profound mystery. This is a big deal. It's hard to understand. And so we won't have all the answers here. But he does say this. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife, the same as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So it's amazing, though, is what Paul says is there's a telos to God making man and woman, right? Can you define telos? Telos is end goal, the aim, Mm -hmm. right? There's a trajectory. And that trajectory is to demonstrate Christ in the church, which that just shows you the perfect plan and purposes of God that from the very beginning, Paul is saying a very strong thing here. He is saying, I'm telling you that the reason that God has man and woman, husband and wife, is so that we begin that so that Christ and his church have this analogy. Mm-hmm. And that's what's supposed to it's supposed to point to. And so why to? Well, Christ and his people is what it's pointing to. Christ being the head, his people who um, love him and support him. Like there's there's analogies there. So God, when he does this original creation, has Christ already in mind, fulfilling the work of the law for his people mm-hmm. and bring them into union with himself. And so I would say to answer like why is why is God create you know one man one woman when God is triune because of Christ and what this means for the church uh, to be fulfilled later would be yeah. the the main answer that I would have there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I agree. Um, and maybe would have gotten there after a couple minutes of rambling. <laughs> so I appreciate that you stepped in. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. Sometimes when you're, when you're the one answering these questions, it's a lot tougher. It's nice to be the one sitting back and going, Oh, he should say this. Now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I, I yeah. totally get it. I, when you're asking the questions, you know exactly the answer that you yeah. want. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Exactly. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So, so let me um, ask this final question that we can build off of that with more than. So another question that Josh asked, Josh asks in relation to this is he he says, uh, how does this mesh with Paul's wish for men to be unmarried like him? And he says God's sufficiency versus gendered relationship. So Josh is thinking here of First Corinthians seven, where Paul says, I wish that you would remain as I am and be single. How does this reality that it's not good to be alone tie mm-hmm. to that? I think you already dealt with that when you said you, it's not necessarily directly related to marriage yeah. in that um, Jesus even says that there are some that will be eunuchs, things like that. So I'm assuming you'll probably go that way, correct? Yeah. Is that how you- yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I will go that way. Yeah, I, I would say a single person is not disobeying the um, creation mandate. Um be fruitful, multiply, or um, they're not in any sort of disobedience or any sort of danger uh, for there being something that is not good in their life uh, based on the fact that they're not married. Because I think what what God is teaching through Moses in the opening chapters of Genesis has more to do with the fact that... um, we need one another instead of we to need to fulfill the great yeah, yeah. mandate to be fruitful. Multiply, right. Yeah. Right? Instead of, instead of we need marriage. And, and so obviously marriage is good and, and I'm not trying to downplay marriage, but I think what, what even then Paul goes on to, to, to speak to in wishing that 
those that there would be unmarried people like he is, is so that they can focus and direct their attention specifically to the spread of the gospel and be undistracted by the cares and concerns of marriage. And so it is, it is entirely possible for you to be in relationship with the covenant community of believers and be unmarried and still fulfill what is necessary in, in, you know, our nature for, for the need of relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it's, it's something I think that can be, that can be filled or fulfilled in a local church. It's something that, you know, you are meant to have relationships. You're meant to covenant with one another in your local church and you are meant to make disciples. And so in that way you are being fruitful and multiplying. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I think that, I think that what Moses is teaching and what Paul are teaching are not contradictory, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is a different uh, goal, a different um, uh, something different to fix your eyes on in the kind of relationship that you are having uh, with those around you. Yeah, and I think Paul's speaking very counterculturally in, in Corinthians. If I understand right, and they're even in the, much of their context in that day, if you were a widower, you'd actually receive higher tax rates after a certain amount of years because you were actually looked at as a plague to society and drawing them down as opposed to creating more children who could probably be male and go into the military and strengthen the empire, things like that. Like there was, it was difficult. And so Paul is speaking of this glorious truth that in Christ it's not like your hope isn't just in having a family lineage anymore. It's that you are united to the ultimate lineage, to David's lineage, to the, to the Christ, to the son of God who's come to the world. And so Paul is saying something great because marriage is a parable of Christ in the church yeah. that when Christ returns doesn't happen anymore, right? We, we believe, we believe Jesus's words when he tells the Sadducees that in heaven, they neither are married nor are given in marriage, that yeah. this, this gift of marriage is related to this world, how we live here, but that it is swallowed up in the coming of Christ and that it's no longer a reality where we will experience the fullness of what it is to be fruitful and multiply and enjoy yeah. Yeah. the eternal state in that way. So yeah, I would, I would totally agree. And I think that allows us to really answer and think through these questions well, because one of the things that Josh mentions uh, in the early part, he says, why when man was closest to God, did God see that man was not good to be alone? Well, it's not that it's not that God's entire purpose was in Adam. It's that he wanted Mm -hmm. the world to be filled with his glory. He wanted image bearers spread out across the globe and that it wasn't good that Adam could not do that apart from Eve. And so it's not saying something negative about Adam or his relationship to God. I think that that verse is when it says it's not good is that he cannot fulfill the vocation to which he has been called on his lonesome. He needs to have Eve. And that's where I don't disagree. I think I, so I do think it's about marriage in that apart from them being married and then having children Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. going, you can't. So I, I, I I know what you're saying that you're trying to say that it's not just saying that he needed a wife, but it, it is saying that because there is no one else yeah. at that point and he needs to have this wife to create more children yeah. and spread that. So I think long-term it gets more than just right, that, right. but initially it's really is tied to that because there is no other option. Um, really so so maybe like the immediate context is marriage, right. but the, the later fulfillment is 
maybe the not great, marriage you can say like yeah you can say marriage but ultimately like the great commission, great commission disciples yeah. being made who will then not be married in heaven but be wed to the lamb who was slain for them yeah. and um and be with their great bridegroom at that point so i think that those pictures get fulfilled ultimately in yeah. in christ and that allows for us to have singles experience wholeness yeah. and fullness yeah. in christ if if that is indeed to what they're called now i would argue i think it is still i would argue it's normative for marriage to be the thing sure. but in the cases where god has actually called people to singleness one of the glories is that when jesus says in john 14 or 16 where he says that he will send his helper mm. i think it's amazing that adam 16. needed to help me but in Christ and his spirit, we yeah. have the helper, the advocate yeah. who can fulfill everything so that we actually, if we are single, we are not lacking. Right. We have full communion with God and his people and we aren't missing. Now, we you might, quote unquote, miss out on having maybe children or that marriage relationship. But as Jesus says at the end of Mark 10, when, when Peter asks him, we've given up everything and followed you, what, what do we get in mm. return? He says, you will receive a hundredfold. Yeah. I believe that hundredfold is actually, in many ways, current, can be currently experienced by the blessing of community in his church if you are not married. Yeah. So it's not as though marriage is what brings that t- together, or if you're not married, you're somehow not able to experience that mystery of Christ in his church. You can still experience that through faith in him um, together. So. Yeah. Um, anything else that comes to mind as you think through this question that you want to speak to? I thought it was a good question, and I hope we reasoned it out well. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say other than just wanted to make sure that we say thank you for the question and yeah. we enjoyed thinking through it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we appreciate the questions from our, our listeners, as always, and please keep sending them so we can think through these things together. Um, and we want to call you in light of what we just talked about. And um, until we get to speak again with you next time through this podcast, to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.